Blog Talk Radio. and the books The Moment in the Sun and Live from the Cafe. A gritty and unapologetic tale, The Odyssey of Pablo Camino takes the reader on a trip through Puerto Rico, its history, its people, and a past most know little about. Pablo's story and those of his family and friends are told by one who has walked those paths. A New York native, journalist Robert Friedman spent more than two decades in Puerto Rico as a reporter and correspondent for the San Juan Star and the New York Daily News. The Odyssey begins and is the first of a trilogy. Robert Friedman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice, nice to be here. Well, let's begin um, first with your career in journalism, as, as have I. We've both been involved in writing for much of our lives, and maybe it just sort of tends to be the training ground for what we do, isn't it? Uh, well, certainly. Especially for... Uh... If you, uh, there have been journalists turned novelists in the past, and uh, that's the the uh, the path I uh, hope that I'm following. Well, I don't want to spoil the open, but we have to talk a little bit about what's in it. Um, with the uh, with the Odyssey, you have created a picture of Puerto Rico that many don't know. Uh, let's begin with uh, our main character, Pablo. He is such an interesting and compelling character. Maybe you tell us a little about him. Pablo Camino, the the artist. Well, he, uh, in order to really know, but well, let me let me put it this way: he's a well-known artist in Puerto Rico, who is um, troubled uh, troubled a bit, and uh, the. As you read the novel, as you get into the novel, you find out what his troubles are and 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 where he is at. I have the main thing is I've, he's a fictional character, but the fictional character uh, he is uh, the son of a real life character in the history of Puerto Rico. I've tried to mesh both of them, and uh, you want me to go get into the novel and uh, tell you about? Yeah, please uh, do. Okay, okay. Well, Pablo is, um, this, back in the 1930s, uh, there was a man by the name of Cornelius P. Rhodes. This is a true character. He was a doctor working for the Rockefeller Foundation. And uh, down in Puerto Rico, they had a, uh, there was a, 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 what is called pernicious amoeba, a, a, a there was a big, uh, um, a lot of people were were uh, were suffering from it, and he was sent down by the Rockefeller Foundation to do uh, research on the uh, on, on for the disease, on the disease. And when he was down there, he uh, wrote a. Uh, he was down there for quite a while, and 
he wasn't exactly overjoyed with uh, the people down there, and he wrote a letter to a, a man named, supposed friend named Ferdy, in which he claimed that this is a disgusting place, and the native, no, the, the place is beautiful. Puerto Rico is beautiful, and it would be wonderful if there were if the natives weren't around. And he said, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm doing some work now, and I have some patience, and I've, I've managed to, uh, so far, I've given them certain, um, quote, medications that has killed off eight of them. And he said Puerto Rico would be a great place if it wasn't for the, if there were no Puerto Ricans there. And he wrote this in a letter to a friend named Ferdy. Now, this is all, believe it or not, this is all factual. The letter was, was never mailed. It was left, he, and anyone who knows Puerto Rico might know uh, uh, what the hospital is now called the uh, Ashford Presbyterian Hospital. It's right on the main drag in the Condado section, uh, Ashford Avenue. The Condado section is the tourist section. It's like Collins Avenue. What Collins Avenue is to Miami Beach. So mm-hmm. he left this. He left the letter, and the letter was discovered on his desk along with other other items by this young. Uh, 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 a young man who worked at the hospital, uh, and he took the letter and he he he, he read it and he you know was really uh, incredibly uh, shocked by it and he took it to and he the young man was also uh, what shall I say he was he he wanted Puerto Rico to be an independent nation see the, that that's another thing to get it. You can't talk about. I mean, for many Americans, Puerto Rico is sun, sea, and and uh, beautiful atmosphere, and that's what it is. But also, mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 got a very strange relationship with the United States, which has uh, divided the country since the United States uh, took over in uh, the Spanish-American War. It's divided the country, and it's divided uh, you know families. Whether Puerto Rico, there are three uh, main things. There are people who want Puerto Rico to be a state. There are others who want Puerto Rico to be an independent nation. And Mm -hmm. so far, up until recently, but it may not still still exist, but up until recently, the majority had wanted uh, uh, something in between where the United States made Puerto Rico a commonwealth back in the 1950s, which gave Mm -hmm. it a degree of self-government but which many people now say, well, it's just another name for being a colony. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. My, yeah. my question right now would be, now this, this letter that Rhodes wrote was an actual yeah. letter, and this fellow, and, and again, this really started something up. This is, this is really intriguing, because I read, I, I believe that letter is at the beginning of the book, and it's yeah. a little stunning. That's a, that's a shocking little beginning. <laughs> Yes, well, the, the letter, the only thing, the only change I made in the letter were the first two, were the first two uh, paragraphs, because I've updated the scenario from the 1930s up to the, ninth, excuse me, up to the 1950s, because right. I also wanted to get in other things about uh, the, the main characters were fought in Vietnam, and I want to get in, wanted to get into a little into that also. So, right. uh, but the but the letter, except for the first paragraph, the letter is is exactly as it was. Later on, you know, he he left the island. He went back to New York. 
later on, he claimed that uh, it was just a joke, you know, a, a Yankee joke that that uh, Latinos didn't quite catch uh, that he was mm. that he was kidding, that he was a little tired and things weren't so great. And so anyway, there was a big investigation about it uh, in in Puerto Rico, and. Uh, he, this is of, of, of Cornelius Rhodes, and he was, well, sort of exonerated, but the people who investigated said that he was either mentally a little uh, off-kelter or... Uh... Anyway, he went on, by the way, he went, he went in the Army after, and as a colonel, he did, he did a lot of experiments with, cancer, with, uh, with um, chemical warfare and drugs, and... And when he came out, he became an expert in cancer, and he went on to to uh, lead uh, to be the head of the Sloan Kettering Institute on cancer, mm. the biggest cancer research center in in the country, probably. And he was uh, was also on the uh, on the cover of Time magazine for his cancer now, work. Now, the question for me is: did did he really was did the investigation determine that people May have died from his yeah, from whatever yeah. he people, was doing. People, some of his of his uh, patients died. Now, whether uh, they died from what he did, or whether he they had died, he knew it, and he made up the story that he killed them. No one ever found out, and uh, hmm. so that's that was the question and in the book when i when i did the book i made the the the, the pablo camino by the way camino in spanish means road it was mm-hmm. a name given given to him uh by he was the illegitimate son of dusty Rhodes, and i made him uh, the illegitimate son of dusty Rhodes and a woman uh from the upper classes in puerto rico and uh uh, and she, for years, lied about her, her father. She say about his father, telling him that his father died uh, during the Korean War. As I said, I've mm. updated. I updated the novel, and uh, and she said your na- your father's name was, was uh, Camino. He was a, a Puerto Rican, and his name was Camino, and that's uh, why Pablo Camino. And she was, right. you know, sort of smart enough to give the. Change the Camino, change the roads to Camino, or whatever. <laughs> anyway, he finds this out later on in life, and uh, let me just say this: and he goes on a uh, a quest to find the truth about his father, and uh, what, if anything, of this has come into the sun to find the truth about himself. And it's interesting too, because uh, Pablo also was in Vietnam for a time and uh, I and I've had I've had many friends uh, some who are no longer with us who come back and uh, one of my closest friends was uh, was a medic over there and he would never speak of what happened he would always say we have nothing to talk about when it comes to that uh-huh. and it seems that and it seems that only through friends like Pablo's friend Ralph who I also want to ask yeah. about it's kind of yeah. like there's someone you can talk about to because there you understand you've been there kind of thing, and, that, and that's when they become very close friends and uh, they discover each other as you know they they're soldiers and they're fighting for the United States Army and 
and to, for the free world, and but they're also Puerto Rican. So that draws them together mm-hmm. in, uh, in, uh, in the hospital in Saigon. And uh, they, they continue their friendship. And uh, so Ralph becomes uh, one of... Uh, Ralph is uh, a writer and uh, teaches part-time at the university there, but when he finds out his, his friend is missing, he goes on a, a double quest, a quest to find his friend. So I've, I found uh, that really interesting, how Ralph turned detective. And uh-huh. the, the way well, that he Well, I also haven't just... asked, believe it or not, he, was, he, he worked for an insurance company, and he was like sort of an investigator for the insurance company. When he was in his New Jersey past, see the things about <laughs> thing about Puerto Ricans, ninety-five uh, percent of them have some experience up in the states, or they've lived there and they've come back, and they constantly go from one place to the other. My daughters, mm-hmm. I'm my daughters were both born in Puerto Rico. I'm uh, they both have gringo parents, but <laughs> they consider themselves they had. Their their whole early life was Puerto Rican trained, and now one of my, one of my daughters lives in New York. And there's also something called do you, do you know what a New Yorican is? <clears throat> That's what I want to ask you about right. because you have Ralph teaching a class in New Yorican studies, and right, I wanted right. to know what what is okay. that? It's at, uh, <clears throat> the New Yorican studies. I made that discipline up. But there are people who study certain things about the New Yorkers are short for means New York Puerto Ricans. They were Puerto Ricans uh-huh. who were who uh, mostly who grew up who were born maybe if they were born on the island they came at a very early age to New York and they grew up in New York, or if they um, if they were born in New York, they grew up in New York, maybe, and they returned to Puerto Rico for a while, and then they go back to New York. And these are the New Yorkers. They're at home and not at home in both cultures, which is, in right. other words, I mean, this is, my book is set around the turn of the century. Things, you know, like everything else, things change. And uh, the Puerto Rican population now in the States to a degree, has melded into the, and especially now, you know, since the Hurricane Maria, so many Puerto Ricans have moved to the state. There are more Puerto Ricans now living in the United States than there are the, who live on the island. Mm-hmm. And is there, um, there obviously is is a, a hold or an attachment to your roots, and your daughters are good examples of that because they right. were born and raised there. And you also talked a little bit about um, the, the the feelings and of what should Puerto Rico be in relation to the state? Should we be, should it become a state? Should it become this? Should it become that? And you do touch on that later in the story about the I, I guess it's the feelings that that uh, have. And then there's you you talk about the nationalist movement and uh, that seems to be more toward independent statehood. I guess right, right. independence. Well, independent country to be an independent. You're right, yeah, independent statehood. But that, see, that, that we use that, if you use that word in Puerto Rico, it means one thing. It means being the next state, the 51st, uh, or the or a state of the United States, which uh, right, which uh, not everyone. That, that, that's the problem. See, Puerto Rico is 
always been. It's been divided down by the middle. And the people who divided it, Puerto Rico down the middle, you know, everyone says, how can I tell you that? Congress, I always say for me, Congress is like your Jewish mother. It says, whatever you want, that's what they keep telling me, whatever you want, but, and then under the breath it is, as long as what I want. And it's as, uh-huh. long as, as long as it's what Congress wants, that's what Puerto Rico will be. You know, and they have, they hold plebiscites, they vote for one thing or the other. Congress does nothing so far. Mm-hmm. They've held, you know, three or four, because, they're, because they say, well, the people down there can't make up their minds. And in many ways, the reason they can't make up their minds in a lot of ways is because of what the United States set up down there and and how how it's given Puerto Rico certain powers but it's other powers that they've kept uh you know that 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 which for things that Puerto Rico can't do economically say has held it back from really developing fully developing its developing, developing itself fully economically and that's why the poverty is such a problem where Almost half the people are below the poverty, the the federal poverty line. And, of course, we talked about Hurricane Maria, and that devastated the island. And uh, it seems like it's been a very slow crawl back. Uh, Well, it has been, and it's devastated the island, and it's caused, I think, there's over 100,000 people have left the island since the hurricane, moving mostly – well, they are, they've always moved. Uh, traditionally, it's been to the New York, New Jersey area. You know, West Side mm-hmm. Story. That's how people think of Puerto Ricans, for West Side Story, if they go down for tourism. And now, uh, many also have moved to Florida, to uh, Miami and, and Orlando. Orlando has become, mm-hmm. for the Puerto Ricans, what uh, Miami was for the Cubans, when the Cubans made the big uh, the big migrations to, uh, to Miami. And... Uh, Orlando, which is in the center of the state, which also mm-hmm. uh, has starting to be, have a Puerto Rican majority, like just like uh, the Cubans uh, in, in Florida, or a, a very large minority, which in the future can also turn federal elections, presidential yeah, elections. Yeah, because it's it's such a solid community, and uh, and, and the state the state is uh, the state is. Um, you know, you know how uh, the Florida is uh, often decides uh, is a very crucial state in in, in uh, presidential elections, and also while, while Hispanics are socially they're conservative, mm-hmm. uh, they found that out. But politically, Puerto Ricans are very liberal. The Cubans, when the Cubans first came over, they were socially conservative, politically conservative also. That's why they got into they them and the Republicans got very close to each other. For Puerto Ricans uh, have been, and that is one a big reason why any Congress that where one of the houses is ruled by the Republicans, they're not going to look favorably on statehood for Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico will come in. So the the conventional wisdom is that they will come in and they will bring along two Democratic. Senators and about six uh, Democratic representatives. Mm-hmm. However, if for just a little sidebar here, 
when Alaska and Hawaii were led into the uh, Union, uh, everyone thought Alaska would be a Democratic state and Hawaii would be a Republican state. And this has uh, mm-hmm. become the opposite over the years. Mm-hmm. And it's those changing times for certain um, and also just the change of views and the change of, I guess it's the change of the demographics as well, isn't it? The change of the demographics, the change of the world, how everything is changing now. Uh, certainly uh, and the Democrat, demographics, yes. But uh, one of the sad parts of the demographics of Puerto Rico now, it's, it's becoming uh, lots and lots of uh, old people like you and me, Tori. And uh, a lot of <laughs> the, the youngsters have taken off. Why well, not taking off a lot of them? Except well, there are there some movement. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. No, you said there was some movement. Go ahead. No, there are yeah. some movements, you know, to try and regenerate, to, to do things like this. <clears throat> you know, Puerto Rico is such a fertile place. You walk out in the street and there's, there's bushes growing in between the cracks in the sidewalk or something, you know. It's, and so there's, there's a, a really strong movement now to, uh, to agriculture, to to um, to become its own agricultural, you know, grow its own products. Puerto Rico had be had been, you know, everyone talks about, oh, you know, that, that food stamps. I mean, I, I won't say everyone. There are people who say the food stamp program, you know, that's giving a given everything away to people. But Puerto Rico, at the very beginning, before the U.S. took it over from the war, grew its own many of its own uh, products, and it had right. its own sugar industries, it had its own coffee industries. And these were taken over from uh, from the big U.S. companies, which always follow the U.S. when it gets involved. Some, you know, when it sort of uh, what they what's called neo-colonialism, it goes into certain lands and then it bring at its best, it will bring some it will bring democratic reforms, but not always. And uh, and both. It brings the, the corporations with it, which is, what, which is what happened in Puerto Rico, that the people, um, uh, they, they, uh, they became one of the U.S.'s biggest uh, import markets for food. And mm-hmm. uh, so, they get, so the Puerto Ricans got food stamps to buy, to help among other things, to help the people who needed them, but also to help the U.S. farmers so that they could afford to buy the the, the food being shipped down to Puerto Rico by the U.S. farmers. Mm. Called vicious mm. circle, vicious cycle or something. Yeah. That's exactly my thoughts just now. Yeah. We're speaking with Robert Friedman. He is the author of The Odyssey of Pablo Camino, the first of a trilogy of stories about Puerto Rico and its history, and there's so much more to talk about. I do have something I must ask you about, Robert. You weaved the Odyssey so well into this uh, this tale, and and it becomes one for both Pablo and for Ralph. And um, that it's sort of like the uh, the obstacles on their journey, and sometimes they seem insurmountable, but they're fighting their way through each and every one of them. And the Odyssey must have been like a real influence to you, or did it just come to you as you were writing it? You're speaking when you say the Odyssey. Are you speaking about the Homer's Odyssey, or yes, the, the well, yeah, that to me is you know 
that's the book, man, because that's what life is. You you're on the journey. You're on the you're on the you're if you're also a, if you're a journalist, you're 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 asking the questions. That's the thing. And as you get older, you find out the the answers aren't always easy. They're very hard, and the and the questions many times become more important than the answers. And that's what a great writer should do. The writers they don't really give you the answers, but they ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. In my well, one estimate. of the things. All right. Well, in one of those things too. Um, uh, you have the journalist eye for detail, and that was one of the things I noted was there's this attention to detail throughout the story, each of the stories, um, even the mundane little things. Uh, they do exactly what an author should do, as I, as I feel, and it's what a, a friend of mine once told me is when I open a book, she said, I want to go somewhere. I want you to take me someplace that I've never been. And you really do put us in there, uh, you put us in Pablo's world, you put us in Ralph's world, and then the other folks that come along, um, you know, just uh, you know, just just with the the, the descriptions, it it comes, it sort of reads a little like a crime novel or or or, or some some sort of film noir, but it's really cool that, you know, you feel like you're right there in the shoes of those guys. Look, I love crime novels, by the way, and let me just add another thing: is I write much better than I talk. But that's beside the point. Or no, that is a strong point. For people who are listening to this, they will know that the writing is much better. Well, you know, uh, the eye for detail is uh, is um, part of the journalism. And uh, let me see, see if I can find this the quote. You know, have you heard of William Kennedy, Bill Kennedy? He's a writer. He's the author of what they call the Albany cycle of novels. He wrote. Um, yeah. Uh, the movie they made with Jack Nicholson and uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, Jesus, what's the name? Now that you're, oh, whenever you're, oh, when you're over 35, you keep forgetting things, right? What the <laughs> hell's the name? Okay, but anyway, <clears throat> if I can find the quote here, which he says well, I'll tell you. that, yeah, go ahead. If yeah. you've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, William Kennedy, he won a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, for his novel uh, Ironweed, Ironweed, and yes. that was the movie made Ironweed. And he, believe yep. it or not, he was. When I worked down in Puerto Rico, I worked for the San Juan Star, which was an English language newspaper, and he was the first managing editor of the San Juan Star. So, and he talks about how, um, if I can find the darn thing, maybe I can. So let's go on to the next question, and I will come into. <laughs> In the middle of the answer, I, I will come in with this. Okay, so uh, <laughs> all right, where the well, hell is? Yeah, the question yeah. I definitely have. Um, you know, these are very real characters. They're very real feeling characters, and it's like, how when it comes to creating characters, how much of them? Uh, how do they? Do you do you mix real people in with things that you that that you are creating? How do characters come about yeah. for you? I do. I mean, I do in the sense real people. Well, for, uh, certainly in uh, uh, the the book, the the, the Pablo Camino, the, some of the characters are real, as you as you know. The uh, as I said, Dusty Rhodes and uh, 
the doctor and some of the people who I mentioned, like Franco and J. Edgar Hoover and uh, Fidel mm-hmm. Castro, they've been around. But for other characters like Pablo Camino, <clears throat> just yeah, I, I get the kernel of someone I know. Maybe the looks of the the person. I know I knew an artist down in Puerto Rico who. Mm-hmm. You know, has nothing to do with anything uh, uh, with the with the novel how uh, it, it developed. But I just knew I, I, he struck something in me that struck something for Pablo. Now, even a, 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 an even stranger one for the um, uh, um, for Ralph. You know, who goes on looking for Pablo. <laughs> this may sound strange. But there was a guy in the who who in a laundromat in Old San Juan. He ran mm-hmm. a laundromat. He and he was built like how I make Ralph built. And there was something about him that was. I saw him running the laundromat, dealing with people, and even though he was running a laundromat, or maybe because he was running a laundromat, there seemed to be some sort of wisdom inside him that I just sort of latched onto. And I turned into Ralph. I said, I felt that this guy could be a, a, a writer, as Ralph was in the, in the novel. There's just little things you, you, you spark. <clears throat> the sparks of certain people have, I, I, of course, there are characters that are wholly invented, such as the man who um, invades, uh, we haven't spoken about that, but the guy who invades... Uh, uh, Pablo's home to rip up a painting. Uh, yep. That that's wholly invented. But but for many many other characters, uh, as someone sparked in me, it might not have been the same profession and the same uh, uh, something deeper inside the person than maybe his what is his everyday outer life was. Mm-hmm. Something yeah, that I, I hopefully that's... intuited about the person. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's it's the same thing for me is like every now and then I will just meet someone and maybe I won't have much contact with them, but I'll just enough. And something about that person, male or female, will just stick with me. And it's it's not even having anything to do with them, but it's like sort of like something sticks with them. And then I'm just like, and that's that's, it. Yeah. 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 And that's how I can use that. I. Yeah, and, and it becomes it gets folded into someone else, which is kind of cool. But Actually, also, there's a. The, let, let me just yeah. add this. It also becomes, uh, you know, people asked uh, Flaubert about Madame Bovary, where he got this uh, wonderful character, Madame Bovary, and he said, "Madame Bovary, c'est moi, it's me," and mm-hmm. every part of every character in a novel usually. Is the writer also? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're, inter- you're, you're wordless, uh, <laughs> Tori. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. So well, even even your villains, even your villains are you also? And here's a quote from true. here's a quote from Bill Kennedy, if I may. Sure. Okay, and this is about journalists who become novelists, as he was. By the way, he was. Uh, as I said, he was the first managing editor, and he went on to be a, a reporter and an ace writer for the paper up in Albany, the Albany Times, Times News or something. Anyway, he said, the fact 
the fact-fiction tension always exists for the journalist-turned-novelist. There's always the compulsion to use your collected information, the power of the event, in some way or another. But you have to transform it. You have to let the information pass through your soul. And that's what I've been trying to do. You let the information, if you're writing about something, specifically what I have been writing about, various true happenings, historical events, you know, uh, have been the kernel of at least two of the, of the books in the trilogy. And mm-hmm. the, those historical events, it goes, they go through your soul. And uh, see, see, <clears throat> You, if you, and if you're a good enough writer, you get to a truth that maybe, you know, they say journalism is the first draft of history, and mm-hmm. and a true, really great fiction writer. I don't know Vargas, uh, Mario Vargas Llosa. He's, he's won the Nobel Prize from uh, uh, writer from Peru. He always talks about the. The lie, the truth of the lie of fiction, where through through the lies somehow you get to a greater truth. If the writer is good enough, he can intuit intuit something about the, you know, for for because also you know history is written by the winners and uh, and. Uh, well, here's an example. When you want to read about, uh, or when you want to read and learn about. Victorian, Eng- Victorian England, say. Do you read a history of Victorian England or do you read the novels of Charles Dickens? When mm. you really want to learn about what the, the crazy Russian soul is all about, which is something very, has captivated me over the years. But uh, does Tolstoy and Dostoevsky tell you the truth? Or when you want to know what slavery in the United States was about, is there anything deeper than reading Beloved by Toni Morrison to learn mm-hmm. the facts, to learn the truth about slavery? So anyway, okay, I'm off my bandwagon. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> that is a part of, that is a part of it. And um, it, it leads me to ask, uh, because uh, Pablo Camino's Odyssey is the jumping off point for the next two books in your trilogy. Um, And each is largely different characters, uh, The Defining Sea and Ulysses and San Juan. Tell us a little about now, when you finished off Pablo's tale, and I won't give it away, what prompted you or inspired you to move on to the next and the next? What prompted me, what prompted me was Puerto Rico. I lived there for 25 years. I've mm-hmm. lived in other places. I've lived in Athens, Greece. I've lived in Paris, France. I've lived, one, of my, one of my main claims to fame is that I went from Athens, Ohio, where I went to college, to Athens, Greece, and worked mm-hmm. on newspapers in both, both, both towns. And, uh, and you go to... Um, <clears throat> I knew I wanted to pick, like for the second one, I wanted to also... The kernel of the story was about a, an historical event. And as I said, uh, I lived in Puerto Rico for 25 years. And even though I lived in other countries, I should say, I lived in Germany for a while. So something about Puerto Rico 
got me heart, soul, and every other way. Well, of course, I was married there. My kids were born there, and but it became part of, you know, integral part of my life. So right. uh, now I'm going to answer the question if I remember it. What you, what you, <laughs> asked, what you asked me was what? What, uh, oh, what how prompted the sex you felt. to keep writing? All right, yeah. yeah. So the second I wanted to write a, a, a or Puerto Rico wanted me to write a second novel about it. So I thought of, uh, I don't know if you know about Vieques, the island of Vieques. It's the offshore island of Vieques is, um, was owned by, you know, it's part of Puerto Rico, but it's an offshore island. And the U.S. Navy uh, had done maneuvers down there for at least 50 years, 60 years, and they used live ammunition, live shelling. They developed uh, uh, they developed the chemical weapons, the agent armed, all, all this was done. It was done on a firing range on an island that happened to be, uh, it was one side of the island. Uh, uh, one side of the island was, was a firing range for use for the Navy maneuvers. In fact, the Marines landed on Vieques before they landed in uh, Korea to try to see how they were going to how they were going to carry out all these things, and in Vietnam also. Over the years, <clears throat> by the way, it is an inhabited island. It was not a not an inhabited island. People lived on right. the island, lived in the middle between the firing range and the other side where where the military kept uh, much of its munitions and everything. So over the years. Uh, uh, people said, "Hey, maybe we should. Maybe the Navy should leave." <laughs> there, there had been uh, there been uh, studies done, and they've had higher rates of cancer, believe it or not, on the island from uh, from maybe the chemicals that had been left uh, left. Uh, the, the, uh, it was also yeah, because the, the Navy never completely cleaned it up after, and there were uh, mm-hmm. and of course the fishermen they're, they're practically nil there. Uh, the waters around the island were screwed up, and they, the fishermen lost a, a lot of money, and they lost their livelihood, not a lot of money, they lost a lot. Anyhow, anyhow, it was the one, you know, Puerto Rico was so divided on so many issues, especially, you know, political. It was the one issue that all the parties agreed on. Let's get the Navy out of Vieques. Even, you know, and that became, it became a, a rallying call, a cry, and it, it made its way into the United States. It made its way into uh, to the politics of the United States where people like Jesse Jackson came down and to, to join the protesters, and Robert Kennedy Jr., the son of Bobby Kennedy, came down to join the protesters in, in the marches and and, uh, and strangely, how all the political parties agreed that the Navy should leave. And in the year 2003, the Navy left. And uh, mm-hmm. even da- Daniel Patrick Moynihan, I don't know if you know him, he was former senator. I remember from, him, yes. Yeah, he came down to look at it and he said, he said my God, he said, boy, if they ever did, tried any of this stuff in, in Martha's Vineyard or any other island up in the States, the military would be, you know, there would be huge protests. Anyhow, exactly. they, the, the protests they got to the they got 
to the president. Uh, what was it? Uh, in 2000, even yeah, it was Bush. It was pre- Bush was the president. Uh, I mean, the movement took ten years. Clinton during the Clinton years, it picked up its uh, biggest uh, momentum. But and during the, the years uh, of Bush, they finally decided, you know, bad publicity, and and someone died in an, an, an errant bomb from a Navy jet hit a, a watchtower where a Puerto Rican was working and it killed him. So anyway, my uh, second novel was Before the Navy Left. It is about was about a protest. There were protests all over the island so many times. And uh, one of the, uh, this young, young Neo-Rican who just came back to the island to go to the University of Puerto Rico, he's a 20-year-old kid, down there, he meets this lovely girl and they, a, a, a fellow student. Anyway, uh, he he he's trying to find out what what's where where the hell he is, how he feels politically. He doesn't know because he's part of the United States. He feels he's a great New York Yankee fan. He was born and bred in the Bronx, and he knows about that. And he comes to Puerto Rico and he finds out things that have happened, and. He sort of joins the the protesters, and he his 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 his, his girlfriend is sort of on sort of she doesn't like protests she doesn't like but she gets dragged into one also and as has had happened in Puerto Rico the university at one time now they can't do it but they called in the riot squad you know what the riot squad is uh, the policemen who. Uh, they yeah. shoot first and ask questions later. And mm-hmm. uh, in Puerto Rico, back in uh, and in another demonstration about something, I think it was against the Vietnamese War, a female student was killed by the police. In uh, right. gunfire erupted from both sides. And in this book, she gets killed, uh, uh, the, the girl. And uh, the young guy, of course, is heart smashed. And he tries. He's going to raise. A, uh, he's going to start a. Uh, he's going to start a, um, a scholarship in her name because she loved. She loved literature. So she and she was studying uh, uh, Latin American and Caribbean literature. He was going to start a, a, a scholarship, in his, and he was going to go around to all the U, big U.S. companies who have all who have. Uh, uh, businesses, you know, branches in Puerto Rico. And you know why? Because at mm. that time, and it, it stopped now, but at that time they didn't, whatever, their, their uh, Puerto Rican branches didn't have to pay taxes. They didn't pay federal taxes to the United States government. All the profits they made, they kept themselves. And they, the, the kept profits, many they found out later, the profits that some U.S. corporations were making in Puerto Rico the profits they were making in the United States, they claimed in Puerto Rico, so they didn't have to pay taxes on them. But that's another story. Ah. Anyway, she comes to, uh, she's killed during the demonstration. He tries, and wherever he goes to try and get money for the scholarship, they tell him, uh, the U.S. corporations will tell him, well, we can't do anything because it's got to be through the home office and uh and he tries to get the unions, and the unions are starting to fall apart, and they can't afford it. Nobody can afford it. So he says, well, there's only one way. There's only one really way to raise a lot of money quickly for a young guy in Puerto Rico, and he becomes a drug mule. 
yeah. taking uh, drugs between the United States and and Puerto Rico as uh, uh, as people. Well, a recent poll showed that 50% of the people did not know that 50% of the U.S. people in the United States don't know that Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. But Puerto right. Ricans are U.S. citizens, and they can travel between the island and the states. And the drugs, uh, that's how a lot of drugs had been transported into the states. So he becomes right. a mule, and he gets involved, and they try to, the drug companies try to blackmail him. Anyway, that's it. That's it. He just learns hard truths as i say he learns hard truths about life and love and and, and what the hell you know what and that was very much a story of yeah. its own it was it was very much yeah. a story of its own and he like you say yeah. he goes through the school of hard knocks in the worst way yeah. and uh and then um i guess we as we are coming short on time we move into right. uh ulysses in san juan and this one this one too is really interesting uh, the from the perspective mostly of the business owner and and what was going on there and i i i actually liked probably that one about as well as the first because uh, he was so intriguing and those characters that worked with him and they all were just so again you 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 dug into the characters and and found some well what, what i like to say is that uh, my novels are character driven the character driven because yes. and also the, there's so many politics in it because when you write the, the, the about the personal in Puerto Rico the personal and the you write about it anywhere if writers who write about it would know that the personal and the political always intertwine and a lot of your a lot of your, of the of what you do outwardly is because of what you maybe feel politically or well, that's 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 how you act. Anyway, the last one is based on, really based on someone I did know in Puerto Rico, a man who was a concentration camp survivor, who came. See, this book is is uh, set back in the 1980s, who came to yep. Puerto Rico to, to once again to try and build a new life, and he gets involved with a woman who is a drug addict. Puerto Rican woman who's a drug addict, and drugs is one of Puerto Rico's big problems. And somehow he mm-hmm. sees things. He goes through his concentration experiences. I don't really have him go through it in a novel, but he thinks on it, and he thinks of uh, what drug addicts, how they're also captured and 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 destroyed by outer forces, other forces. I mean, also by themselves. You got you know, there's something. I believe to in, to a degree in free will that you one day you got to tell yourself screw it I'm going to do something that's that's decent and good and uh, and if I'm hurting the worst thing to do is hurt other people uh mm-hmm. but if I'm hurting myself I should stop that also but the main thing is I you think of uh, what you're doing with other people anyhow yeah that's that's uh that's the the other book is called uh once again, it has sort of a. Uh, I just like the sound that it's called Ulysses and San Juan. It, it's a bit of what should I say, uh, literary uh, fora on my part because uh, a literary, uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm doing something that's <laughs> out of my hands because it, you know, the yep. book Ulysses by James Joyce was. Yep. Takes place in Dublin, or day in Dublin, and the main character is Leopold Bloom, 
who is uh, the wandering Jew, in a sense. So my character in uh, Ulysses and San Juan, Wolf, his name is, he is the wandering Jew, but uh, the post uh, uh, the post concentration camp uh, wandering Jew, and it's about his experiences in uh, in, in San Juan. Which old San Juan? I don't know if you've ever been to Puerto Rico, but old San Juan is is, yeah. a, is a magnificent place. It's a wonderful city, little city. Uh, everyone knows everyone else, uh, which is good, bad, wonderful, and terrible. But it's <laughs> and, and there are artists. There were and there are probably still are. There are artists, poet, politician, poets, phonies, fighters, and. Uh, it's a great place to live. It's uh, some people and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people who came down from the states from the, they used to call it Greenwich Village South. That's when Greenwich Village was Greenwich Village. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of writers and would would be. Let me put it this way: a lot of would be and a lot of very excellent local artists that like many people don't know the history of Puerto Rico. Many people don't know the art. And the 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 impetus of the art world of Puerto Rico, who uh, would well, that's another book and another story and a real life uh, <laughs> real life story. Well, let me let me say this though: it's uh, Robert. Your own life has been fascinating in itself, and uh, you've had a varied one. Uh, tell us a little about. Uh, you grew up in the Bronx. You you started in New York, and. Uh, you grew up in a very different time, probably around the time my parents were alive or, or, or even a little younger, and maybe you could tell us a bit about that, and obviously that shaped you as well. I say I was born, bred in, and branded by the Bronx. That was mm-hmm. my, that's where I started out, and that's where I spent the early years of my life, playing stickball, believe it or not, in the streets. Yep. And getting yep. called in by my mother, who we lived on the first floor, and when dinner was ready or something, she'd say, "Get in here. It's time to eat." And so we played. <laughs> That's what. Remember when? Well, I don't know, Tori, how old you were, but uh, I remember when kids were out in the street playing, and uh, and running around like maniacs and everything. That was then. I I, I did the same thing. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, you're from the good old school, and then. Uh, <laughs> Well, I was uh, went to DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx, and then I um, I worked for a year. I, a job I loved at Capitol Records. You know why I loved the job? I was I worked in the uh, stock room of Capitol Records, shifting out seventy eight records to different with disc jockeys and going around with the public relations guy. But but the thing I really liked about the job is that I was able to ship so many of these demo records to myself and to my friends. <laughs> and they got all from Tennessee Ernie Williams, I remember, to Frank Sinatra. They, were, they got all these the Capitol records. <clears throat> then after that, I went, uh, I went into the Army for two years. I fought the Battle of Nashville, Tennessee. I didn't go overseas. I was in Fort Campbell, even though the, the war, the Korean War was on when I went in the Army, but it ended in uh, the... the the 15th week of my 16-week basic training. Everyone said, huh. you're going over, you're going to the frozen Chosen, they used to say, the Chosen River in Korea, where there was a lot of battles and everything. But I was lucky in that sense. It ended in the, at the end. And then after that, uh, where did I go after that? After the Army, I, I went to college, GI Bill. 
the greatest thing that happened that's happened to America, and you know, first certainly for me, and for a, and for a rising where America, where people middle class meant something, and and training people to turning the GIs to former GIs who who after uh, who had a little more maturity and went into college and did the serious stuff in college and uh, sort of laughed and made fun of the sororities and the fraternities. Anyway. How, how about you want to hear turn into journalism? Yeah. Okay, I yes, I studied journalism. I got a Bachelor of Science in Journalism degree. And I worked well. I worked in, uh, as I said, uh, while I was in Athens, Ohio. I worked for the newspaper there. That was part of the uh, that was part of the school. You work for a year at the, uh, at, the, at the, the town paper, and they had very yep. low overhead. They didn't have to pay reporters. But I covered <laughs> I covered the Athens Bulldogs, which was the baseball team of, the, of the, uh, in Athens, Ohio. <clears throat> then I went to. Um, Oh, I, I went to a graduate school in Stockholm, University of Stockholm, University Stockholm for University Graduate School for English-speaking students at the University of Stockholm. That's what, something like that. And and I studied, believe it or not, uh, Greek uh, uh, Norse mythology for a while. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> you know, I knew how Loki died. You know who Loki is, and, and yes, and, I do. And all those guys were hit with a poison arrow. Okay. But then after that, I worked for, in Germany uh, uh, for – I came back to the States, and then I worked for Germany in the, for the Stars and the Stripes, which is a newspaper for the military in Germany. Yep. I worked for that in a while. Then I went to Paris, and I tried to write my first novel back way back when in the 60s, and uh, it came out pretty lousy. And uh, then I went to work for newspapers. I worked in New York. I worked for Fairchild's Publications, which were business papers. Um, uh, And from there, uh, I went went on a vacation to Puerto Rico, and I said, hey, I like this place. This is very nice. And I went into the uh, managing editor of the San Juan Star. Star had just, just started about two years ago, and believe it or not, next year it won a Pulitzer Prize. The the editor mm. of the San Juan Star won a Pulitzer Prize. It was something about the separation of church and state because they, everyone was was uh, they were telling people uh, not to vote for the former for the man who was a, was the governor and was reelected. His name was Governor Luis Munoz Marin, who was like the George Washington and Franklin D. Roosevelt mixed in of Puerto Rico. He he, he was a great governor. And uh, he wow. uh he under under him the, the economic Puerto Rico Puerto Rico in the nineteen thirties was called the poor house of the Caribbean. In the nineteen mm. fifties it began to develop uh believe it or not, a middle class and it became it became like like a poor state, you know, maybe like a poor state but but it had a uh for a while, it did have a very thriving middle class, but then, of course, the factories, all the factories that came down to Puerto Rico, they came, they came down to get uh, the tax write-off benefits. But then, uh, fortunately for the workers, unfortunately for the uh, for the the companies, the unions followed the companies down, and they made uh, the companies pay the minimum wage, and a lot of the companies then left the island and went to. Uh, 
the Far East or Haiti or the Dominican Republic, which was mm-hmm. all of which were not under the aegis of the United States and, and didn't have to pay the the, the, uh, <clears throat> the minimum wage. Okay, I'm mixing everything mm-hmm. in together. Together, right? I worked in I worked in San Juan, so I was also the Daily News. Uh, I knew uh, I met Pete Hamill, who came down there, who wrote wrote for the Daily News, and Jimmy Breslin, who were the two 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 top wonderful uh, reporters for the mm-hmm. Daily News. And uh, in fact, I don't know if you saw it, but on HBO uh, recently they had a uh, wonderful documentary about Breslin and Hamill and uh, the years. Uh, what what it was like, what, what type of journalists they were like, who, believe it or not, journalists actually went out into the street. They went into yeah. homes, with, which is something that uh, not, uh, we're all sitting in front of our computers or in front of our belly buttons, right? That's where we get our stories now, before our journalists actually went out and, and reported. <clears throat> That's why you, you well, know, you go on television, man. I go on television. Okay, it's fun. Some of the talking heads, good. But then you want to, what's going on in the world? So you tune in. Thank God for the British, the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the BBC. The BBC. Right. Well, I'll you know. tell you what. That's yeah. going to probably be another story for another day. But uh, we're coming to the end of it here. My guest has been Robert Friedman. He is the author of The Odyssey of Pablo Camino, the first of a trilogy on Brown Posey Press. And, Robert, thank you so much. This has been a history lesson, but it's also been your history, and uh, the stories were really compelling, and uh, I thank you for your time. Well, whatever I gobbled, uh, I apologize for, And uh, but no. uh, believe me, the books are more <laughs> you can learn, and the, the, the Puerto Rico is, is is an intriguing place, and and even though it's got you know hurt by the hurricane, still the cities have come back completely. Old San Juan has come back completely, and uh, and uh, and San Juan and the major metropolitan and people should go down there if they want to go someplace for a vacation. They'll have a great time, and and the Puerto Rican people are terrific people. They really are. All right. Well, I'll leave it there. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show. I'm your host, Tori Gates, author of the new release, Searching for Roy Buchanan and the books A Moment in the Sun and Live from the Cafe. Thank you for being with us. Okay, you should hang up now, right?